All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Nick Freitas and welcome back to another episode of Making the Argument. Today we're going to be talking about the crisis at the border or according to the press secretary for Joe Biden, the circumstance at the border. All right, it's a, it's a circumstance at the border. I, I find that interesting because you can basically call anything a circumstance if you want, but uh, apparently it's it's not a crisis. Why? Well, because Biden's president, right? And if Biden's president, things are not crises anymore. They're just circumstances that are being deliberately and, and deliberatively dealt with. So no need to, no need to worry, no need to have any concern. Um, but just in case, just in case you are actually worried about what's going on in the country and specifically down at our southern border right now, I decided I'd do a, a little bit of research for you and talk about some of the numbers, um, how the Biden administration is handling it, how the press is handling it. And then at the end, we're going to actually just make, a, make an argument. We're going to make a, a rational argument uh, on, on what our immigration policy actually should look like. like and, and I don't just mean if you care about the United States. I mean, an immigration policy, if you actually cared about immigrants, like what, what would that look like? Because I don't think it looks like what we have now. But let, let's start off with the circumstance at the border. You know, why are some people calling this a, a crisis? Well, let's go ahead and look. Well, one facility in Donna, Texas, they were at 729% pandemic capacity. That's a circumstance. Uh, the CBP, Customs and Border Patrol, announced that the agency encountered 100,441 individuals in February. That is a 28% increase over January. And of those, 19,246 individuals were in family units. Now, keep in mind here, when they say in a family unit, it means they, they crossed as a family. That doesn't mean that they're all related, right? We've, we've already seen this problem before with respect to how coyotes smuggle people in. Um, but that's what they, they categorize it as. 19,246 individuals were in family units. 9,457 were unaccompanied children. Think about that for a second. I mean, I, I can't imagine, you know, letting my kids just, you know, wander around unaccompanied in the United States without knowing where they were at or having family or friends or somebody there. But no, 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 apparently 9,457 kids were unaccompanied crossing the border. And then 71,598 were single adults. All right, single adults. So when, when they get over to the United States, well, what happens? Well, <clears throat> one of the processes is that we say, look, you, you can't come in the United States illegally, and then we turn it back over to uh, facilities in Mexico. Well, the facilities in Mexico are, are not accepting them. They just, they will not, they will not accept them into their facilities, all right? So, so here's what we have. We, we have an influx, a 28% increase over January. Um, 
And the question is, is what, okay, why did this happen? Why are we seeing this increase, right? Was this predictable? Well, back in December, even, even Reuters, which is not exactly a, a conservative publication, uh, reported that Biden's pledges could spur more migration during the pandemic, right? And, and this, is, this is to be expected, right? When you looked at Joe Biden talking during the debates, talking on the campaign trail, it was pretty much all about, we're going to completely reverse any Trump era policies, you know, come to the United States, asylum seekers. That's one of their favorite terms to use, asylum seekers. Um, and and we're, we're going to essentially let them come over, right? Open for business in the United States. So obviously, when you, when you make a lot of these pledges and a lot of the rhetoric, not just coming from Joe Biden, but coming from the left in general, is essentially saying that any policy which, you know, works to secure our borders or says that if you come here illegally, you're not going to be able to stay, that's mean. That, that was mean. That, that means we don't care about people. And since they do care about people, well, the obvious message was once they're in charge, you, you can come in. You can come in and you'll be allowed to stay. Right? That, that, was the, that was the incentive that was created by the rhetoric that was coming out of the Biden administration and a lot of left-wing candidates running all over the country. So it, it's not hard to predict that if, if you come forward with that kind of messaging, then the, the signal that you're sending to people is that as, as soon as the Republicans are out of office and Democrats are in charge, you'll be able to come over, you'll be able to cross the legal, and you'll be able to stay. Right? And people believed him. People believed him. So you have, you have this influx of people coming to the border. So now that we're out of the campaign, and, and now it, it comes to you know, having to do adult things, like actually manage our immigration policy, or you know, manage the federal government's response to things like, uh, I don't know, a global pandemic. What, what is the administration saying now? Well, this is interesting, right? The Department of Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, who recently told reporters, we're not saying don't come, we're saying don't come now. Oh, okay. So the entire campaign, it was once we're in charge, come to the United States. And now that you're actually in charge and you realize that this, this is, I gosh, this isn't campaigning anymore, this is governing. Now you're saying, oh, no, we're not saying don't come, we're just saying don't, don't come right now. Oh, okay, great. Is, is there a suspense date? When would be the appropriate time to come? Will that be forthcoming? Let's say, uh, what did Biden say? Biden, who's, who's obviously also coming to terms now that he's, he's president, not a candidate, said, yes, I can say quite clearly, don't come. Later adding, don't leave your town or city or community. Okay, well, again, Homeland Security, right? That, that guy said, yeah, don't come now, but, but you, know, you can come in the future. So that, that's the signal that's being sent out. Um, and then in, in response to whether or not this was a crisis with all these people coming across the border based off of the campaign rhetoric that was heard from Democrats for months on end, if arguably years on end. And she said, children presenting at our border who are fleeing violence or fle fleeing prosecution, who are fleeing terrible situations is not a crisis. Uh, yeah, it is. If, if children, if you have almost 10,000 children that attempt to come to the United States in February alone, because they are fleeing, in the words of Biden's press secretary, violence, persecution, and terrible situations, I, I would say that's a crisis. That's not just a crisis for us, right? That's a crisis for those kids. It's a crisis for tens of thousands of people that honestly feel like only, their only hope in life is to get away from the countries from which they were born or which they live in order to come to the United States. I, I would say that is a crisis. That's not merely a circumstance. Now, if, if you want to make the emotional appeal that if we care about people, we, we need to do something about this, okay, that's fine. But, but to insist on not calling it a crisis when what you just described, I, I would call that a crisis. If, if my children suddenly up and left my home in order to flee to a foreign land 
unaccompanied. I, I would say that there was probably some sort of crisis that spurred that on. So let's, why don't we be intellectually honest about what's actually going on here? Because yes, I do care about those children. And, and I do think it's a crisis, not only for them, whatever happened to, to compel them to do that, but it's also a crisis for us with respect to how, how do you process this? How, how do you actually work in order to make sure that children are not going back into a bad situation, but at the same time understand that the United States can't just open its borders? All right, let's, let's move on to this, because one of the things I found interesting in some of the reporting is you, you have these reporters saying, well, you know, it's false that people are just released into the United States. Illegals aren't just released in the United States, right? People that cross the border illegally, that's, that is, uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Here, coming from the Customs and Border Patrol in a statement that they issued, per longstanding practice, for those of you in the media, what longstanding practice means is that it's been going on for a while. It's not a new thing. When long-term holding solutions aren't possible, some migrants will be processed for removal, provided a notice to appear, and released into the United States to await a future immigration hearing. All right, let me go ahead and translate what that means. <clears throat> Someone comes in the United States illegally. We don't have the facilities to process or hold them. And so what happens is, is we say, okay, here you go, because Mexico's not receiving people back. So here you go, you can go into the United States, it's, it's not like we're tracking anybody, but here's a notice to appear. Here's a notice to appear. And by law, you better appear for that immigration hearing. So just so we're clear, someone travels in some cases, hundreds, in some cases, thousands of miles in order to cross the United States illegally, cross into the United States illegal. They're detained. There ain't no, there's not enough room in the facilities. Uh, Mexico won't receive them back into Mexico. The Biden administration wouldn't send them anyways. So we release them in the United States, but aha, there's a notice to appear. Yeah, that's going to work. I mean, give me a break. You, you already have someone that by your own admission, it is fleeing something that, that potentially terrifies them. In other cases, it, it's not genuine asylum. In other cases, just somebody that wants a better opportunity. They don't feel like they can get in their country. They feel like they can get in the United States. And, and you release them into the body of the United States with a notice to appear. And you, you honestly believe that's not the same thing as just saying, okay, yeah, you got us. Because that, that's exactly what happens. That is exactly what happens. All right, so, so how does this affect things? Well, obviously, um, the same Democrats that are, are saying we have like a, a global pandemic and that's dangerous, which, hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that a global pandemic is not dangerous. I think it is. And, and clearly a lot of those same Democrats have been fine with restricting the movements of American citizens, right? But, but what are they doing with people who come to the United States illegally? Do, do they get similar restrictions? So according to, let me see here, um, migrants are being tested for COVID-19 before they are released, right? That was the question asked. McAllen, Texas was sent 10,000 COVID-19 tests last week to test migrants who are being paroled under the catch and release policy, right? That's again, that's that policy of, hey, you came in the United States illegally, we caught you, but we're going to release you into the general population with a notice to appear, pretty please come back and, and show up to the um, immigration hearing, All right? And then I love this part, right? Because this was a local official in Texas. We let them know and we guide them with CDC guidelines and explain to them that it's really important that they isolate and quarantine. But I want to make clear that we can't contain them and we can't stop them. So, so <laughs> the solution here uh, that's being offered by our, our all-wise government who genuinely cares about people and genuinely cares about the pandemic. 
so much so that they've been engaging in lockdown policies and mask mandates and everything else, is essentially saying, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to test you for COVID, but we don't have the facilities to hold you. So we're going to release you into the general population uh, with a notice to appear. So even though you broke the law initially to get here, we're, we're trusting that you will now follow the law when it comes to the notice to appear. And oh, by the way, here's some CDC guidelines. And, and we really highly recommend that you quarantine. It, I mean, does anybody take this seriously? I mean, this, this, is, this is one of those, you know, worst examples of, of the government saying something to say something without having any real plan in place. And everyone kind of gets it like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We don't really mean it, right? Because it's not like they can enforce any of this or even trying to enforce any of this. Um, so what is the Biden administration doing in, in order to, you know, to, to help with this? Well, they did award ICE an $86.9 million contract for hotel rooms. So if you have an overflow facility, well, then ICE can come in, buy up a bunch of hotel rooms, and, and that's where we can keep people. Now, again, keep in mind, it's, it's not as if that's a secure facility. So, you know, once again, you're, you're paying for a hotel room, but what's to prevent somebody from leaving that hotel? Because it's, what, are you, are you surrounding the hotels in the neighboring area? I, I don't think you're doing that. I'm pretty sure they don't even have the manpower to do that. But that's what they're doing. Because again, that, that's the solution. Let's take tax dollars. Let's buy a bunch of hotel rooms. And when we don't have long-term facilities, we'll just put someone in a hotel. And it, it's gotten so bad that even Democrat lawmakers in Texas, right? There was one Democrat, uh, uh, Representative uh, Kular. He said, the situation is this. They're letting undocumented people into the United States, but not legal visa holders, right? So... So if you come to the United States illegally, you cross our border, and, and they don't have enough room for you within the detainment facility, they release you into the United States. But if you're a legal visa holder, well, then they restrict your movement, right? Then they restrict your movement because COVID, because COVID, right? So if you, if you follow the rules, you, you will have far more regulations and bureaucracy to contend with if you don't follow the rules. And that actually led Representative Killer to say that the Biden administration is not listening to border leaders, but mainly migrant advocates, and they are not getting the entire picture of what is happening in South Texas. Again, this is not coming from a Republican. This is, this is coming from a Democrat lawmaker in an area that actually has to deal with the real-world consequences of when you have a failed policy and, and can spot the absurdity of putting higher restrictions on a legal visa holder than you do on somebody that actually crosses into the country illegally, right? So, so that's, that's what's going on. That's how the Biden administration is masterfully handling this. So clearly the press is very, very concerned about immigration policy, very, very concerned about the crisis on the border, and very, very concerned about transparency. I mean, we heard all throughout the Trump administration what a monster he was, what a threat he was to the press. Um, but, but all that was over because when, when Biden got elected, he made this promise on January 21. He goes, our entire administration will always be honest and transparent with the good news and the bad. We'll, live, we'll level with you when we make a mistake. We'll straight up say what happened. Wow, that's, that's quite a promise of transparency. So um, keep in mind, this is coming from the same president that hasn't held a single press conference himself since he has been president, right? But that, that was his promise. That was his promise. So, so what's going on? Well, it turns out that the Biden administration is now heavily restricting press access to what's going on at the border and Customs and Border Patrol facilities. That's right. I mean, some members of the press are actually, they're a little bit concerned about this. Right now, if it was Trump, 
it would just be all out pandemonium because this would be evidence that he was essentially setting the First Amendment on fire and was about to lock up the press in, in you know, detention facilities. But since it's Joe Biden, they're going to give him a break. And this leads to some of the reporting that you see. So at the same time that the Biden administration is restricting press access, right, two areas of the border, two border facilities, there was, a, there was an article in The Guardian. And, and I find this interesting when you look at how this is reported on. The, the article starts off talking about all this anti-immigrant um, statements coming out from Republicans. Because again, if, if you want common sense immigration reform, if you want border security, if you don't think it's a good idea, probably especially during a pandemic, for a bunch of people to just be you know, coming across your borders by tens of thousands, right? if, if you think that, that that's maybe bad, right, then you're anti-immigrant. Right? That, that's the press's rhetoric, right? But then she goes on, in the, in, or the, he goes on in the exact same article and says in the same article, the, the Guardian mentions Ingrid, one of two Salvadorians. And it said she's, eight, she's the, the Salvadorian said she's 18, but she looks much younger. She's wearing two plastic wristbands, one red, the other white, which reports suggest are used by coyotes to indicate payments have been made to organized crime groups who control the border. So, so let me get this straight. You've got drug cartels and human traffickers who are identifying people attempting to cross the border based off of whether or not they have paid the correct organized crime elements in order to get into the United States. But, it, but if a Republican steps forward and says, yeah, that's a problem, we're the anti-immigrant ones? We're the anti-immigrant ones. I, I don't know, maybe you should be a little bit more concerned about the perverse incentives that are being created where you have a situation on the border where criminal organizations are now engaging in human trafficking and exploiting people in order to make sure they get safe passage. Because I'll tell you what happens if they don't pay those organized crime elements. Many of them get murdered. So I, I don't know, maybe, maybe if this, if this reporter was concerned about immigrants, they would also be taking a look at the sort of perverse incentives that are created by a policy which tells people that you can come to the United States, you can cross the border illegally, but oh, by the way, on, on your way up here, you're gonna have to go through a bunch of organized crime elements first and get exploited and pay money to them. And even after you've paid that money, you might end up being trafficked into the sex trade or you might have to transport drugs or weapons. Is, is there any concern for them or are you just too caught up in a political narrative? But look, the, the press is not stopping there. The New York Times wrote, this is their headline, Thousands of migrant children detained in resumption of Trump-era policies. Okay. <clears throat> when a child crosses the border unaccompanied, what are we supposed to do at that point? Because th th there's two things to take into consideration here. One is children coming in the United States and just wandering the streets without knowing anybody or being able to speak the language. I would think that's maybe a, a target for exploitation. And so what, is, what are Border Patrol agents supposed to do at that point? Okay, you're coming across the border. Oh, you're 12. Go ahead. You, you don't think that's dangerous for the migrant child? But that's a resumption of Trump-era policies? No, it's a resumption of a policy based off of a common-sense principle that when somebody is coming into the country illegally, we tend to detain them. If they're a child, it doesn't mean we can't show compassion. It doesn't mean we can't concern, uh, show concern. But do you really think it's safer to just say, oh, no, 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 it's okay, go ahead. Go ahead, sorry, you're under the age of 18. Walk across. Because I'm sure nothing bad will happen to him then. 
Not to mention the fact that you're now setting something up to where if somebody doesn't want to cross into the United States illegally, well, the key to do it is to go kidnap some kid and do it that way. Now, does that mean everybody coming over as a family unit is as kidnapped children? No, it doesn't. But does that happen? Yes, it happens. Absolutely. And you're setting those kids up for exploitation as a result of this. But to call that a Trump-era policy? The New Yorker is, of course, suggesting that this is all Trump's fault, a claim that will very likely be repeated by the left uh, that can't seem to understand the, the problems of perverse incentives. So, again, it's amazing to me that the lack of reporting on, on both what is going on, and when we call it a crisis at the border, at least when I say it, I don't just mean it's a crisis for the United States. I mean, it's a crisis for those immigrants as well. I mean, my, my, my whole starting point, the, the foundational principle which guides the way I look at policy and everything else is based off the idea that every human being has inherent worth. That's not just Americans. Every human being across the world has inherent worth. I, I want good things for all people. But when you have a policy that sets up this sort of perverse incentive structure, we're now all of a sudden crossing the border is not just a, a, a question of what sort of impacts does that have on the United States with respect to our economy and security, but also what, what, sort, of, what sort of ordeals is someone going to have to go through to do that? And when, you've, when you have a policy which says, well, if you're unaccompanied, you shouldn't be detained and you should be able to come right in. Okay, well, what have you just told parents all over the world? Hey, if you want to get your kids a better life, send them to the United States unaccompanied. Well, I, I got a question for some of my friends on the left. H how do you think that process works? Do you, do you think you go down to a travel agency in Guadalajara and just buy your kid a ticket? You just put them in a car and they go across and you're fine? No, it gets run by criminal organizations and institutions which then exploit the children. February alone, almost 10,000 of them. So don't tell me you care about the kids. When you can look at something like this and say, oh, well, you know, detaining kids, that's all Trump era policies and it's all brutal and it's bad and it's mean. All right, so wh why is there a problem in the first place? You know, for, for most of U.S. history, um, our, our borders were relatively open. That's not to say we didn't have immigration policy, if you, especially if you were coming in from the East Coast. There, were, there was a far more developed immigration policy and process for, for coming into the United States, right? But the Southern border and, and the West Coast, especially in early American history, you know, millions of people came into the United States and it's not like they were going through an immigration process, right? But, but the United States was able to, you know, absorb those populations of coming in and, you know, you've heard it said before that the United States is a nation of immigrants. There's a lot of truth to that statement. But the question is, is, is what sort of incentives were in, in place? And the first question you have to ask is, why does someone want to come to your country? Because apparently, all of the people that are now trying to flood into the United States as a result of things that Joe Biden was saying about immigration policy, wasn't listening to all the other things Democrats were saying about the United States. Because I'm old enough to remember when the same Democrat politicians and the same advocates were talking about the United States being a no good, horrible, very bad cesspool of bigotry and oppression. But apparently that didn't convince anybody that is actually living in a country right now where they feel the need to flee, to pick up, or to send their child unaccompanied to a faraway land where they don't speak the language. Apparently they don't see the United States as a cesspool of oppression and racism. And for good reason, because we're not. Because if you actually look at our legal immigration policy, it's incredibly generous when compared to other countries. 
But again, the, the same people on the left that want to talk about just how, how backward the United States is and how backward it is to, to want to actually have a secure border and an immigration policy that makes sense are the same ones that are, that are simultaneously telling you America is a bad place and telling everyone that they should come here. I mean, why would anybody listen? Which, which parts of those statements are, are incorrect? Because one of them has to be. Now, first of all, I think it's great that people want to come to the United States. I think that actually says a lot about who we are as a country and what the United States represents. But unfortunately, what we've seen over time is that the, the original idea about coming to the United States is that it was a land of opportunity, right? It wasn't, we didn't promise you stuff. You, you, weren't, you weren't promised a bunch of goods and services. You were promised the opportunity to be able to work hard, build a life for yourself, and the government or some sort of you know, elite class or caste system wasn't going to come in and take your stuff or prevent you from doing stuff because you weren't born here or because you didn't have the right political connections or because you know, your, your parents weren't wealthy. Now, a lot of people will look back on and say, well, that's not true. Look at all these cases. And, and you can. You can point to various things within U.S. law where, where there were racist policies, where there were policies that deliberately benefited one group over another. But if you actually look at it in the context of world history, there is a reason why people have wanted to come to the United States and continue to want to come to the United States. And it is largely tied around the idea that here there is economic opportunity. Not because we have a government that's micromanaging our lives, but because we have a government that doesn't micromanage your life. But unfortunately, the number one thing I believe that's standing in the way of a more open immigration policy is left-wing economic policy. That's what's standing in the way. Because again, I'm someone that places a high value on individual liberty. I'm someone that places a high value on people being able to exchange and work together not just nationally, but internationally. I think that's, that's better for everyone. But when you create a system where there is a massive welfare state or where taxpayers are on the hook to pay for a whole host of goods and services and you can receive the benefits of those goods and services without having to contribute. That's not, that's not to say that, that you know, everybody that receives those goods and services don't contribute. It's just to say you don't have to contribute in order to get those goods and services. You create a different incentive for coming to the United States. You create, I would argue, a perverse incentive. And what the Biden administration is realizing right now, not just with COVID, but with a whole host of other issues on the border in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California, is that when you do have a massive influx of people, you, you end up with problems associated with public education, public health, hospitals. And I hear a lot of people on the left say that, oh, well, you know, that, that's ridiculous because if you come into the United States illegally and you're a migrant worker, you don't get all these welfare benefits. That's garbage. First of all, this is coming from the same people. This is coming from the same people that apparently never read any article about all the fraud, waste, and abuse on everything from social security payments to stimulus checks, going to people incarcerated, going to dead people, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars being wasted by the federal government on people that were not entitled to the programs that they are currently receiving benefits from. Not to mention the fact that, yeah, legally you might not be entitled to something. Legally, you're not entitled to enter the country without permission. But people do it. 
and they get the benefits as a result, well, just like with our welfare state, yeah, you might not be legally allowed to have it, but does that mean you don't get it? No, with false documentation, you can get it. Even if you don't have false documentation, if you enroll your kids in a public school, they'll be allowed to go. Public school doesn't call ICE. If you walk into an emergency room, the doctor doesn't call Customs and Border Patrol. So every time that you are actually, every time someone is making use of those facilities, that does cost the American taxpayers something, or it costs the public school system something, or it costs the people that have to pay higher uh, health insurance prices in order to make up for the care that was provided for someone that couldn't pay. Now, every time we bring this up, we're told that we're just mean-spirited. What do you want? You want to you throw people out and not educate children? You want to throw people out and, and not give them health care? No, no, what I want is for us to acknowledge that the first rule of economics is scarcity. There is not enough to, to service everybody's needs, wants, and desires at all times. And so the, the whole study of economics is based on the idea of how do you achieve these, this equilibrium? How do you achieve a, a status where, where you do have the free exchange of ideas, goods, and services, and that we can maximize human prosperity. Well, if, if you create a crisis where all of a sudden you, you can't have not just people coming into the United States, but people born here as well, using goods and services without having to contribute for the use of those goods and services, you do create a perverse incentive. That's, that is not to say that we can't help somebody that needs assistance. It's not to say that we can't come alongside someone they've fallen on hard times. But if, if you do this through a government program, then you create a political system where politicians actually benefit from encouraging this sort of behavior, then the system will eventually collapse. It cannot sustain itself. So the whole question is, why do people come to the United States? Do you come for opportunity or do you come for free stuff? Well, I would argue Democrats are encouraging people to come for free stuff. And that is not sustainable. That does not make me mean. That means I'm, I'm at least vaguely aware of how math works. And if you really care about people, to include people that want to immigrate to the United States, then you damn well better care about how math works. Because if you're creating a situation that will eventually collapse on itself or create a bunch of negative externalities as a result of your policy, then ultimately you're hurting your citizens and you're hurting the immigrants. Genuine compassion actually requires not only being driven by the emotion in a particular moment, but actually looking at the underlying circumstances and causality which have created the circumstance you don't like. And if your only solution to that circumstance is, well, we're going to show how emotionally sensitive and empathetic we are by not actually dealing with those underlying problems, but just by taking money from one place and handing it over to another, or by creating a system which creates so many perverse incentives that you are actually encouraging criminal organizations to take advantage of migrant populations in order to sub subject them to the sex trade, gun smuggling, drug smuggling. If that's what you're creating, well, then I would argue you're not compassionate. You might be deeply concerned with how something makes you feel, but you're not overly concerned with how it actually affects people in the real world. Because there's a lot of things that might sound really good in a political soundbite that don't actually work well in reality. And if you're wondering why there's been an uptick in human trafficking, especially human trafficking, which affects kids, I, I can't help but think 
I can't help but think having a policy where you encourage parents all over the globe, hey, if you send your kids to the United States unaccompanied, they'll have a better chance of staying because detaining a child is mean. No, exposing a child to criminal organizations, exposing a child to, to sex trafficking because of bad policy, I, I would argue that's meaner. And if you really care, you're going to do something about it. So what does this all come down to? Well, I, I'm going to tell you, I, the way a lot of Republicans talk about immigration reform absolutely drives me nuts. So we're going to, we're going to go through making the argument. Right? We're going to, I'm going to equip you with an argument to make here. Because I, I, one of the things that one of the comments I get a lot is like, Nick, you use too much logic, logic, reason, and facts, and the people I talk to don't care about logic and reason and facts. Here's what I'm going to tell you: I don't actually believe that's true. I, I do people, I do think people, the most most people, not everybody, but most people do care about facts and logic, right? Maybe not Alexandria Ocasio Cortez with her famous statement that people are more uh, concerned about being factually correct than morally correct. Well, no, to be moral correct, to be morally correct requires you to be factually correct. Because if, if in your quest to be moral, you throw out facts, chances are you're not going to arrive at just conclusions. In fact, you might make a situation uh, far worse in the long run. You, you might be able to temporarily alleviate some suffering, but if, if in your goal to temporarily alleviate suffering, not to make their situation better, but to make you feel better, or to feel morally superior, if that's your object, or if that's the result of the policies that you implement, I'm going to tell you right now, you are not a compassionate person. So when Republicans argue about this, when conservatives argue about this, when we talk about immigration reform, here's a couple of things I would suggest. Um, first of all, because something is an emotional argument, doesn't in and of itself make it a bad argument. All right? e emotion is a, is a important Feeling, it's an important characteristic, right? The ability to empathize is important. But again, it goes down to that idea. So when you are, when you are talking about immigration reform, if you talk about it in a way that is just us versus them, well, then I'm going to tell you two things. One, you're not going to get very far in your argument. And two, I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. I care about immigrants. I care about people that want to come to the United States. I care about people suffering anywhere in the world. My faith requires that of me. That, that's not something that I do conveniently for political purposes. It's something that it, I am commanded by God to care about other people, regardless of whether or not they're an American. So let's establish that first. But it's important then that as we look at the facts and figures, as we look at the underlying circumstances that have created the sort of problems that we're seeing on our border right now, it is perfectly appropriate for us to ask questions about, wait a second, hey, reporter, when you glossed over that bit about a young immigrant girl having two different wristbands that suggest that she's had to pay coyotes or someone's had to pay coyotes in order for her to get safe passage, it not that problematic? How could our policies potentially be encouraging that sort of criminal activity and subjecting her to exploitation? Does it make sense? For us to have an open policy where we tell people all around the world that if you send your child to the United States unaccompanied, that we'll let them stay. Won't that, in, won't that increase the danger associated with children being unaccompanied trying to cross over to a foreign country? It's perfectly okay to ask these questions and ask them on an emotional level because if that doesn't concern you, that is problematic. If this is all about, well, we just don't want you here, that is problematic. I don't agree with that. 
But it's about how do we do this in a safe environment? The other question that we need to start asking back is, well, wait a second. Why are we in a situation where it is more difficult for the United States to accept more immigrants? Right? It hasn't always been that way in the United States. Why, why is it more difficult now? And I think it's perfectly fair to bring up that, well, again, when you create a perverse incentive, when someone is coming to the United States, not to seek opportunity, but rather to seek free stuff, that's a perverse incentive. That creates problems that we're going to have to deal with, that American taxpayers are going to have to deal with, that our education system is going to have to deal with, that our hospital system is going to have to deal with. And all of those are exacerbated during a pandemic. You don't get to tell me one minute that, that we all have to be on lockdown and wear masks and then tell me another minute, but if you cross the border illegally, there you go. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense not only for us, that doesn't make sense for the immigrants either. The other thing that we need to bring up is the people that do wait in line and, and follow the system and follow the process to come here legally. It is an absolute slap in the face. It is an injustice and it is totally unfair to tell everybody that is waiting, sometimes for years, in order to come to the United States legally, that you are now going to take a back seat to somebody that just completely subverts the process. What does that tell them? I mean, they've got to feel foolish. Standing in line because they respected the institutions of the United States because they wanted to be a part of it, and now we're telling them, you take a back seat. You're not as important to us. There's nothing fair about that. There's nothing just about that. So it, it, it's, it's not that difficult. If we want to have a, a fair and open immigration policy, and I don't mean open borders. I mean a transparent immigration policy where everyone can understand what the rules are and what the processes are. Then there are a couple of things that we have to do. One, you have to disincentivize people engaging in dangerous and illegal behavior to get to the United States. You have to disincentivize that. Not just because it's bad for the United States, but because it is bad for them. When you, when you create a policy that encourages them to engage in illegal and dangerous behavior, you are not doing them any favors. We also need to recognize that a key component of that is border security, right? Now, some of that is, is physical barriers. Some of that's walls in certain areas. Some of it is um, sensors. Some of it is, um, you know, video and whatnot to, so that if, if somebody does cross over to the United States, they're not, you know, a family isn't, starving to death or dying of dehydration in the desert. Some of that is recognizing and, and properly preparing people so that when they come to the United States, they are able to actually make this their home. There, there is nothing so powerful as watching someone at a citizenship ceremony becoming an American citizen and watching them cry because they are so proud to be a part of this country that they have dreamed of. Yet, yes, my friends on the left, there are people all over the world that are fleeing countries that have adopted the very policies that you want to implement here, that are so grateful and overwhelmed by emotion when they have gone through the process and finally been able to call themselves an American citizen. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we are a great country, that we are a compassionate and we are a welcoming people. 
and we need to continue to be so. And one of the dangerous trends I see is more and more Americans that are starting to become concerned or worried because that process is going completely out the window. Because they're being simultaneously told by Democrats that they were, were a horrible place. Well, we know we're not a horrible place. We know it because of our own experiences, but we also know it because of the millions of people waiting in line to get to this country. So when we make the argument, we should be appealing, not just to logic and facts, because I do believe logic, facts, and numbers are on our side. We should also be appealing to the plight of people desperately trying to get here that now see their best option as breaking the law and putting themselves in the hands of criminal organizations. We should be concerned about that. But we also have a right for our own citizens to include those who were born here, to include those who immigrated here, to have a process that makes sense and also worries about their protection. Our government is responsible for the protection of the rights, liberties, and properties of our citizens. That is its obligation. It does not mean we can't show compassion to other people. But the obligation has to be to our citizens, just like every other nation state in the world. And if, and if you're looking for a good argument on this, one of the things I would, I, I went to the border in uh, 2018. And we, we did some interviews. And, and what we wanted to do is, is we didn't want to do, I mean, we know what the media narrative is, right? We know what that reporter from The Guardian said. Anytime a conservative talks about immigration policy, it's because we're anti-immigrant. So here's what we did. We went down to the border and we talked to people that lived on the border. Every single person I interviewed was a Hispanic female. All American citizens. Some of them were first generation. Some of them were second or third generation. Every single one still had family in Mexico and regularly visited Mexico. They were the ones calling for the government to do something about the problem at the border. Why? Because they were scared. Now, was, does everyone live at the border scared? No. But were they? Yes. And they're American citizens. Why were they scared? Well, it was everything from as simple as being worried about letting their dog out at night for fear that the dog would be killed if it alerted the people in the house to somebody crossing through their property illegally, to being worried about their kids going to public schools. Because many of them had stories of ICE actually putting their schools on lockdown and the parents not knowing why it was on lockdown. And it turns out it's because somebody had crossed the border and had hit them within school property. And one of the reasons why they do that is because when all the cars come through to pick up the students, at the end of the day, it becomes an easy way for them to mix into the crowd, get into the cars, and then leave. And so schools on the border get, get locked down. And, and if you think this is just hyperbole, if you think I don't know what I'm talking about, as we were sitting there at an elementary school right outside of McAllen, Texas, an elementary school, it was, it was right on the border, right in one of the little border towns outside of McAllen. And it was the elementary school, then there was a levee, and then there was the Rio Grande. Right? There was the border. And as we're standing there with this group and as we're talking to these mothers and they're sharing their concerns, two people literally came out of the bushes and crossed the levee. And then Border Patrol rolled up and picked them up. Now, did, did, those, did those people, were they coming over? Were they bad people? I, I don't know. Probably not. Did they just want a better life? Probably. But does that parent still have a right to be concerned? 
especially when it's happening at their elementary school right on the border? Yeah, I would argue that they do. And I would argue that a lot of the rich, entitled, self-righteous liberals that don't have to deal with that situation, that are, that are calling that Hispanic mother a bigot or a racist because she's concerned about that, I, I think that's the problem. So look, there, there is no reason why we can't have a reasonable conversation about this. I, I am not an anti-immigration conservative. I, I believe that immigration, um, on the whole, can be a very good and positive thing. But it does depend on, on certain criteria and ideas. Why are people coming to your country? Are they coming to get a job, to get a better life? Are they coming because they're fleeing persecution? Are they coming to smuggle drugs? Are they coming to smuggle weapons? Are they coming to do terrorist attacks? See, we don't know that when someone is crossing the border illegally. And so to have a process where we can welcome people into the United States that want to be a part of the American experiment while at the same time showing genuine compassion and concern for the mother that lives on the border that's worried about the safety of her, her children as they go to elementary school, I think we can achieve both of those things. But it's going to be really hard to do if the press and the left in this country insist on suggesting that any time we bring up a valid concern, it's not because we actually have facts and evidence and experience to back up what we're saying. It's purely because we're bigoted. And the reason why they use that argument is that it's simple. If they can convince other people that you're a bigot, nobody needs to listen to your argument. And so it is time for us to use an emotional appeal back to them so that you can see that there are multiple dynamics to this particular issue. And that it is imperative, not just for the security of American citizens, but the security of people that want to come to the United States, that we have an easy to understand legal process for entering the United States and that we disincentivize both illegal crossing and the criminal organizations which feed off of it. All right. I want to thank you for spending the time with us today. I, I hope you find these arguments helpful. You know, go on YouTube, go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, ask us questions. Um, if, if, you, if you want more information on this, if you want more data on this, we're, we're happy to provide it uh, within the comments section, but, but please engage with us. Um, also, want to make you aware of another thing that's going to be coming out here shortly. We have a, um, we have a video that's going to drop on uh, Wednesday. It's, it's called The Why Minutes. And one of the issues that we're discussing on this Why Minutes episode has to do with this whole argument around government and guns. Because one of the, one of the primary arguments that we, we hear for why private citizens shouldn't own guns is that it makes society less safe. Um, and then simultaneously, we also hear that the government is the only ones that really should have access. Um, some people say to any firearms. Some people say to firearms like AR-15s. And so we actually explore that. We, we actually explore that and we look at safety within society in general. We look at free societies and we actually, we, we look at this argument, the nature of this argument that only the government should own guns. And we ask the question, when, when we look at horrible events that have been used, when horrible events where guns have been used, should we as free people trust the government more than we trust individual citizens? Do, do we have just as much reason to be skeptical of government being the only ones to have guns as Democrats suggest that we should be a private citizens owning guns. So that's going to be at the Y Minutes. You can go to theyminutes.com. It's also on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, but again, that video will be posted uh, coming up here. Or actually, uh, when, by the time you hear this, that uh, video will be posted. So go and, go and look it up. Tell us what you think of that as well. 
Once again, thank you for spending some time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.